none of these things are even remotely possible without your amazing grace. God, I thank you so much. We pray our prayers. We give our thanks to you, Father God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. I pray your anointing. I pray that your spirit be on each and every one of these words, Lord, and I pray that everybody would hear them. Every single person would hear your heart in these words. They wouldn't hear the heart of the world. They wouldn't hear the teaching of the world. They wouldn't hear anything but the heart of God who loves us with a perfect love. We speak these words today. Lord, I ask your blessing for the worship team. I don't think we have any idea how blessed we are to have people that are so passionate for your presence and for your heart, Lord, to lead us as we learn to worship. And we do worship. So, Lord, I just pray your blessing over spent so much more time than we probably should. I want to take just two more minutes and talk to you before I start to talk to you. Um, I get up here and I cry like a baby and I, I, I love it. I, I love it because I really believe it's how my soul or my spirit responds to the presence of God, to his touching me. It makes me just cry. cry when I'm, ha- I'm almost never sad and I don't know that I, I guess I cry when I'm sad too, but I just can't remember being sad very much. But you guys, um, I don't know if we've done a great job of fostering this in our church on the street, community, culture, whatever. This isn't a a service. This isn't a meeting. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's not a meeting. It's not like, um, you know, there's 10,000 uh, nameless faces in this giant thing and, and we can't, you know, do anything but, you know, kind of whatever you would do if that was your dynamic. Our, our dynamic, our heart, is family. It's, it's, it's people caring about people. And I prayed and prayed and prayed for years and years. Lisa Taylor from over at the Freedom Center taught me this. Um, I'm not weird that I was at the women's ministry meeting. I was actually the soundboard guy. But she taught about asking God to give you love. And scripture says that anything that you ask in his will, you should know that you've got it. Well, there's nothing that would be more in God's will than that we would walk in love. And ever since I started praying that prayer, my whole being has been transformed so that when I think about Hunter or Liz, or I don't think about somebody who's one of 10,000 nameless faces. I think of them like, they're me. And I want... I pray that that would be all of our hearts, that we wouldn't just say, wow, that's really sad about Hunter. You know, I hope somebody goes over and helps him out, that your heart would be broken for Hunter. He's this poor little nine-year-old kid who can't even get out of bed. He can't speak. He he's, gets migraine headaches. I mean, it's, it's that. That's what this is. When you have a problem, you shouldn't think like, wow, poor me, what would I do? It should be so obvious for you what to do if you need help or, or there's, you're hurting in any kind of way that, that this, is, this is us, this is family. This is what God wants the church to be. It's the hand scratching the neck. It's, it's, it's the body coming together and lifting each other up. He gives us each a gift. He gives us a grace and we're to extend it. It's not just for us to run around with. He talks about rivers of living water flowing through us. He doesn't talk about a lake or a pond because a lake just holds its water, but a river is always constantly releasing its water. And unless you release it, there's no place to put more. 
So that's, I, I'm not sure, other than when I was worshiping, I just had that fall onto my heart. I want you to know that this isn't about, I'm not a pastor, I'm just a guy. I'm just like everybody else, and I just, I just love you all, and I just pray that God would knit us together. The Word says that we would be knit together with love, and that that would be who we are, that we're just one big glob of love that, that's always looking out for each other says, whatever we reap, we'll sow. If we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. I pray that we would sow so much love and so much compassion and, and so much caring of one another's burdens that we would reap just an abundance of the same. And I know we will because the word never lies. It's always true. Okay, so I'll step down off my soapbox and start. It's Father's Day. I was never more intimidated to speak than I have been all week today. I, I, I had no... Um, inspiration until the end of the week and I figured I could probably put together a message and talk about something and and try to bless dads in the process but it's not good to ever I think for me to sit up here or any of our other people that might be up here and, and speak not from inspiration because you could probably figure out how to do it pretty good over time and people would see you know you could become a great speaker and, but there's no spirit in that it, there has to be Holy Spirit inspiration on the words. And so I got, you know, typically, uh, uh, you know, on Friday or Saturday, I get inspired and I, I, I try to get something together. And, and I think I do have a, a word that's inspired from heaven. Um, before I start, though, it's a kind of word that you're likely, um, to some extent or another, to be convicted. And, and if I have any kind of relationship with you where I know a little bit about you, some of you are probably going to think that, oh, that guy's talking to me. I hate it when he does that. Honestly, I'm not. I am, you know, collectively, but I'm not to anybody individually. But if that conviction comes to your heart, you should listen to it because it's probably the Holy Spirit. And from the perspective of um, living a kingdom life, this is very foundational. It's, it's funny, every week when I get inspiration, it's like, well, this is the answer. It's fear the Lord. If we would just fear the Lord, we'd have it made. And now it's that plus this, plus the next inspiration, probably. So maybe it's all equally foundational. Anyway, I'm not talking to anybody individually, but if you're hearing that, you should listen because it's probably the Lord and it's an opportunity for you to grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And I picked the King James because it used the word author, and author implies a book. And the book, if it's read and it's followed will bring peace and not confusion. And if you see in the world, you see a lot of confusion. If you see in people, you see a lot of confusion. If you see in families, you see a lot of confusion. So as I was asking the Lord, what do we talk about today? He started to show me these scriptures about order, about the absence of confusion. And he showed it to me um, in an ordered way. For example a lack of confusion. How does a Christian walk in such a way to avoid confusion in the world, right? Because we're seated in heavenly places with Christ, but we're aliens, ambassadors into this world as long as we're into this, in this fleshly dwelling, right? So in the world, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 reads, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
So he starts off here, or I start off here, in 1 Peter chapter 2, where God's telling us that we should submit ourselves to the authorities of the world. Right? I mean, it doesn't mean that we would necessarily submit ourselves into sin, but we're to submit ourselves to worldly authorities. That's God's will, and it creates an outcome that's good. Right? So in the world, God, the, God through his word teaches us about submission and right order. And then the next one that uh, he brought to me was the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So in the kingdom, you find this order that, that eliminates any confusion if it's followed that starts with God as the head of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus would be next. The head of Jesus is God the Father. Following that, in the, in the perspective now of a family, would be the man. His head is Jesus. And following that perspective further is the woman whose head is the man. Culturally, this is difficult. You know, you hear the scriptures that say that a woman should submit to her husband. And she should. But it's not easy for us in a culture where um, marketing and advertising, probably inspired by evil, has taught women to be different than God would teach them to be and has perverted the way a man would be such that it would be almost impossible for a woman to subject herself to such a man. Fortunately for the man, right, Christ is never perverted. So if we, we can always look, a woman can't always look to the man and see Christ, but the man in his role in subjection to Christ can, no matter how sideways he gets, can always look to his head and find perfection, okay? So in the world, there's a way that there can be no confusion in order if a Christian will follow the word of God, if, if, if we'll listen to what the author of the book wrote. In the kingdom, there's an order, and if we follow the order, there's no confusion. It continues down into the family. In Colossians chapter 3, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So he starts off in this passage of Scripture and he speaks to the wife and she says, be subject to your husband. Be under his authority. And you do this as, as is fitting in the Lord. So maybe, I'm not exactly sure what as is fitting in the Lord means. I, I should have probably studied that a little more deeply. But it's probably similar to us being submitted to uh, a worldly authority, a president, a governor, a, a mayor, a general, you know, or a, a lieutenant if we're in the army, as is fitting to the Lord, that we wouldn't submit ourselves in such a way that would be contrary to God's character. But there's a way that a wife is to be subject to her husband. And husbands are to love their wives, not necessarily to be subject to, but to love their wives and to not be embittered by them. Yesterday, um, I wish I had time to go into this because I, I can always be the best case example sometimes for failure. Uh, I did not love my wife as Jesus loved the church yesterday. I literally um, didn't. I mean, I just I was just not a godly husband for a short while. And, and I was so disappointed in myself for that. But the thing that brought me joy, if you can have joy in that whole thing, is that repentance came like instantly. Reconciliation didn't quite come instantly because sometimes you create a chasm that takes a little while to 
close back up again. But even when I fail, and I'm, and I'm saying this to the rest of you men out there, and really to you ladies too, that the, the likelihood that you're going to be perfectly subjected to your husband or perfectly love your wife in this world that's got so many influences trying to take you a different way is probably zero, that you'll be perfect. What you should look for is how did I respond when I failed? And you can find great satisfaction if your repentance comes quickly and it's sincere and true repentance. So um, it goes on. Husbands, love your wives. Children, be obedient to your parents. There's the order. If we're going to have uh, peace and not disorder or chaos, children should be obedient to their parents and fathers should not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I'm not going to talk too much about children today. Really, a little bit about wives and mostly about husbands. So we have this order, and I didn't put the scriptures in here, but it also, God talks about inside the church where there's order, where it talks about how an older man should relate to a younger man and how a younger man should relate to an older man and an older woman to a younger woman and a younger woman. I mean, he gives you all these relational perspectives and teaches you how to act so that you can have peace in your life and harmony. I'm trying to remember, I think it's in Second Peter where he talks about, and do all these things and be harmonious with one another. And literally, that's the peace that he's talking about. So if you take and, and you start back with God being the head and Jesus being subjected to God, because we won't ask us to do anything as subject to him that he wouldn't be willing to do as being subject to the Father, some scriptures that give you an idea of Jesus in subjection to the Father. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus humbled himself. Remember, Jesus never stopped being God, right? He didn't access his divinity in order to become the perfect sacrifice for all of our sin and transgression. But he never stopped being God. He came from heaven to earth humbled himself as a man, and subjected himself to the will of his father to the place where he literally didn't have a place to sleep. He didn't have a house. He didn't have an address. If you sent a mail, they wouldn't know where to take it because he had nothing like that, not even a place to rest his head. In John chapter 5, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. If you continue on further in chapter 5 of John, verse 30 now, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus, who is God, who never stopped being God, came from the perfection of heaven to the fallen earth and literally stepped away from his own will. He, he emptied himself of himself. He said, I have no will of my own. I do only what I see the Father doing. I've subjected myself to his will. I know that when I judge, I judge correctly because his will is perfect. I submit my will to his. I know that mine is perfect because his is perfect. And then the last scripture, and we're going to touch this one twice, is in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So literally... When Jesus came, he gave himself up. He didn't, just like us, you know, we say, um, we pray the prayer, you know, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart and Jesus, your Lord, but the amount we give up is pretty tiny compared to the amount that we hold back. And, and as we grow, 
hopefully we release more and we surrender more and we surrender more unto the Lord. But Jesus literally gave himself up for her. Her is us, the church, ultimately to be his perfect and spotless bride someday. So he came outside of his own will, in the will of the Father, literally didn't have a place to lay his head, and completely gave himself up for the church because he was subject to the Father. If you continue down this path of order, and let's talk about, well, I guess we'll skip over husbands for a minute, because that's where I want to spend most of the time, and you look at wives. Another scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So ladies, your godly responsibility, as you've confessed Jesus as Lord, is to be subject to your husband, not lower than your husband, literally side by side to your husband, but there's no two-headed beast that ever worked well when you, when you talk about subjection. You can't have this. It's got to be one way or the other. And a lot of times, because maybe the man won't, the lady kind of takes that, that role of, of, um, that the man should have in a family but it's not supposed to be that way. And sometimes it's going to be really hard because the husband doesn't always act like Jesus and he doesn't always subject himself to Christ. The word in the English language that keeps coming to my mind, and, it, and whenever I have this conversation with somebody who's struggling, the word that I hear all the time is but. And there's very few places where Scripture gives you a, <laughs> God gave you a but, but it's only to sit on. It's not, it's not to make an argument with. Where, where God says, okay, now, when he's perfect, you be perfect. When he does his part, you do your part. There's no but there. There's a few places in Scripture where he gives us a but that allows us to say, okay, here's a set of circumstances where this thing that I hate can happen. But that's not this. He says that you're to be subject to your husband and submitted to his godly will. And if you can get yourself to the place where you can do that, it brings an honor to the husband that helps him to be a godly man that you would want to be subject to, other than in the Lord, but just in, in, in your nature. You're wired that way. It's not wired to be different. God made us in his image, and he made us in such a way that, that there's, a, there's a comfortable right way if everybody plays their part. And if, if we do that, we'll find that, that that peace comes and it's comfortable for us. It really is. So, today is Father's Day. Husbands, here's your scripture. I heard, um, anybody ever heard of T.D. Jakes? Guy's got like about a 30,000 member church down in Texas. He's written a number of books. Um, pretty amazing guy. I heard him speak on this subject once. Ephesians chapter 5. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So your job, husbands, men, is to love your wife the way Jesus loved the church and to give yourself up for your wife just as Jesus gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So 
I think the weightiness decreases a little bit with each order in this thing. God, the Father, at the top of this subjection chart, perfect and never failed. The Lord Jesus has proven himself perfect and never failed. The man, I believe, in the relationship of husband and wife has a greater responsibility to Scripture than the wife does. It doesn't say things like that your husband might be okay based upon this. But the man, it does. Scripture teaches us that just as Jesus gave himself up, that the church, that his bride, all of us might be perfect and without spot or wrinkle on that day that he receives us. You husbands, we husbands, we men, have the responsibility to the Lord to help to prepare your wife. That you would love her the way Jesus loved the church. And you think about that. Well, how did Jesus love the church? You know, how was that manifest in his life? And, and I don't mean this to be a bummer for you, but you got a big job. And if you don't understand it, you might not do it. Jesus loved the church to the place where he had no home. Jesus loved the church to the place where he wasn't allowed because he subjected himself. He chose not to have any will of his own. Um, Jesus, because he loved the church, carried the weight of every sin. And, and I don't think, maybe when we get to heaven we'll understand what that means, that he carried the weight of every sin of every man that ever had lived or ever would live until eternity comes. The spiritual weight, the physical weight, everything, that unto death he carried that. Um, Jesus, who never stopped being God, was spit in his face. He had men pull his beard out by his hair, by, by the hairs of his face. He had uh, thorns. You know, we talk about a thorny crown. It's not a crown. There was no honor in that crown. And it wasn't just set on top of his head. It was, it was pressed into his scalp. Why? For the church, for his bride. Um, he was stripped naked. He was scourged, the cat of nine tails. If you've ever seen the, the movie The Passion of the Christ, it's not like he took a good whipping. He was literally, his flesh was torn from his body. Why? For his church, because he loved the church, his bride. Um, spikes driven into his hands and his feet, hung naked uh, publicly on a cross, and ultimately murdered because of his love for his bride, the church. So sometimes when a man says, but, I say, you signed up. You married that lady. That's your wife. You have such a responsibility. And whether she honors you or not, the likelihood that she will, if you don't love her the way Jesus loved the church, is a lot less than it would be if you did. One other scripture um, about husbands and wives that I really love, it says, it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. He explains to you, I think there's something in here and the other scripture that talked about and not being embittered. I think he, he's trying to teach us that there's, there's things that God knows about men and women that are different. And any of you guys that are married for any length of time, probably you ladies too, you know that there's stuff that you just can't wrap your brain around. I, there are things about Teresa that I, they just make no sense to me. And, and not, I mean, bless you, hon. You know, you're a hundred times better than I'll ever be, but... I can't figure out how come she responds to some things the way she responds to them. And, and sometimes I'll stick my foot down in a giant pothole and I'll be like, how did I get here? I never saw it coming. 
And God understands that. He knows that because he says, and don't be embittered. You know, sometimes I, wanna, I just want to be embittered. It's like, where's this coming from? But the scripture teaches us, no, don't be that way. And you should honor your wife. You, you should um, recognize that in, in, in some ways she's, she's a weaker vessel than you are. Some of the scriptures say vessel than you are. In other ways, I think women have a tremendous strength that men don't have. Um, Jessica Palmer could probably testify to that this morning, that Daniel could never have done what she did last night. But anyway, if we will honor our wives properly, if we will love her as Jesus loved the church, our prayers won't be hindered. So the opposite of that must be true. If we don't properly honor our wife, then maybe our prayers are being hindered, that we're praying and they're just kind of getting tangled up in the clouds. They don't all get through. And we need our prayers answered. We have some weighty stuff. If you have children, you have children that you're praying for. What if they don't get through to heaven because we don't honor our wives? I was thinking about analogies about this, and I, and I, I had two that came to mind. Um, one almost seems kind of silly, but if you think of it in terms of, if this becomes, there's an acronym for Bible, somebody told me, basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. So if you followed this like an instruction manual, if you thought about um, General Motors or Ford, maybe Henry Ford back in the day, and, and he's got this bright idea about an assembly line, and he brings parts at the right place and the right time, but if somebody decided to be a car manufacturer and they said, well, we need doors and, and we need a frame and we need tires and we need seats and a steering wheel and all this stuff that makes up a car, let's just go build a car, and somebody screws the body to the frame and puts the doors on and the steering wheel in, and, and then this guy comes running up with the seats, and it's like, can't get them in because the door's already in the way and the roof's already on top. And, you know, the book said that you put the seat in before you put the door on, but because you didn't follow the order of the book, you end up with a car that's, that's dysfunctional. Or maybe a football team. This one I liked because it implies an enemy, right? So let's say that the good guy is the offense, and they're trying to score a touchdown. Maybe they're trying to get their whole family to heaven. You know, and greens, you could be a football team, and you got even a, an extra. You got somebody come in and sub. You got 11, 11 greens on the field, and they're all trying to score a touchdown with their family. And, and, and Ben Green, the dad, who's the quarterback, you know, he says, Benjamin, you go like this and like that. And, you know, Caleb, you block here. And Kaya, you block there. And Kim, you run over here. And and there's 11 guys on the other side, and they're the bad guys. They're like the devil and the demons and the evil that doesn't want the greens to all be peaceful and go to heaven. And as soon as Ben says, hike, he gets the ball, and all the rest of the greens just kind of sit down, and all the bad guys come, and Ben gets squashed in the backfield, and they never got to heaven because they didn't follow the plan. There was a plan. So this is exactly the same thing. Will you get to heaven or not get to heaven if you don't do a great job of loving your wife as Jesus loved the church? Probably, I guess. I don't know. Um, but you'll be a lot happier between here and there if you do. Will you, will you get to heaven or not get to heaven if you wouldn't be subject to your husband the way the word teaches? Maybe. But I promise you, if you would honor God's word and do the things that he teaches you to do, especially in the times when wife isn't acting like a godly wife or husband's not acting like a godly husband, I promise you, I, I I'll sit up here and I will guarantee you that you will have that peace that the God of order, that's not the word, the, God is not a, yeah, the peace, he's a God of peace, not of confusion. That peace that God talks about in his word is yours if we obey it. 
if we do what he says. If we think this not like it's a, uh, oh, you did wrong, that's a sin, bam, you know, God gets to smack you on the head and curse you or whatever. I don't really think that's God's heart at all when he's teaching us to be obedient. I think he knows things that we don't know. And he says, if you'll just follow this book, if you'll look at it, read it, internalize it, and most of all, obey it, then my blessings will be yours because the blessing is always in the obedience. I guess a couple last things and and then I'll be done. When it doesn't happen, when, like yesterday, what would Teresa's correct response have been to me not loving her like Jesus loved the church? I think she would ask God for grace because now she's got to endure something that she's not supposed to have to endure. And it requires God's grace for us to do those kinds of things. I think her proper response to the way I acted yesterday would be forgiveness that most likely will flow from God's grace. And then maybe the third thing that she would do would be to extend grace, even though I'm not someone worthy of grace based upon my actions. I think if somebody, if the husband or the wife, acts contrary to God's word, that if we would ask God for grace, he'd give it to us. If we would extend forgiveness, it will bring us more grace and peace. And if we extend that same grace that we asked for, it'll help that reconciliation process. Now, what about for me? You know, what would have been my proper response? First would have been to recognize the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which I praise God that because I really do consider him Lord and because I really do want to look exactly like Jesus and I do want to love my wife the way Jesus loved the church, I felt the conviction immediately. It didn't take an hour or a day. Um, Even in the flesh that was risen up, I felt such a conviction And I wish I could tell you that I did it right away, but I didn't wait too long. My proper response was to ask for forgiveness, to confess that I did wrong and and ask for her forgiveness. And then to receive the grace and then ultimately to repent and not do that again. Think differently so that I don't do that again. So today, maybe we could ask the dads to just stand up and, and we'll get you out of here only just a little bit late. Stand up, um, fathers, dads, and ultimately, even if you're not, if you're just a man, stand up, because you'll be some kind of father someday. Go ahead, stand up. Shane, we're blessed to see you here today, by the way. It's awesome. I wish I'd have seen you sooner. We'd have prayed for you. Shane Rose had his chest all, anyway, you know the story. Praise God he's here today. He's healing. So, oh, I thought you were starting to tell me something. Sorry. Um. I want to bless you. I want you to know that you have everything that you need. If you think about your job, loving your wife as Jesus loved the church, if it seems impossible to you, it's not. It's, it's absolutely possible. Um, Second Peter chapter 1 reads, this is Paul now, he's, or Peter, excuse me, he's addressing in his letter, you know, the people that were going to receive the letter. So he's saying to them, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So you have everything that you need. And if you, if you don't, then we just need to get you saved 
and you'll get the Holy Spirit and you will have everything you need. It's, it's not impossible. It's not probably easy. I mean, I could testify that it's not easy. If it was easy, I wouldn't have fallen down yesterday. Okay? You have what you need. You have God on your side. Let's pray. Lord, I bless these men. I bless them as men. I bless them if they're husbands as husbands. And I bless them as fathers. And I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of life and death is in the tongue. I speak life over each and every one of these men. I speak it over young men that are husbands to be someday and fathers to be someday. And I declare success. I declare godliness and holiness. I declare heavenly wisdom, righteousness. Maybe, God, most of all, I pray for and I declare in your name humility. Lord, absolute surrendered humility, just as Jesus demonstrated for us, that they might walk in your power, do your words, and I declare that peace will define their lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless them. I bless them. I bless them. I ask for your continued grace. Lord, I ask for your mercy when we fail. I ask for a spirit of repentance to be heavy upon us when we do. And I ask that you would grace all of our wives and moms, Lord, with the grace to be subjected to less than perfect men. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Go ahead, honey. I just, um, as Pat was speaking, felt really impressed that um, we pray over your marriages. So if you women could um, stand and join hands with your husbands. And um, those of you seated, if you could just pray in agreement with us. So, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the divine order that you have established, Lord, and you do everything for our good. And I'm just um, so humbled, Lord. I'm just humbled and I'm thankful and I'm so grateful. And, Lord, right now, I just, um, on behalf of the women and um, in marriages, Lord, Father, I just pray that in each one of our marriages, Lord, if the order is out of order, that it would be reestablished, Lord, that you would shake things up, Lord, and just reestablish the, the order that you divinely planned so long ago. And that we as women, Lord, would keep our eyes fixed on you and not um, evaluate and criticize what our husbands are doing or what their walk looks like. Lord, your word says that we are to follow you. And it's not your will for us to know what you have planned for them, but for us to follow you. So, Father, I just um, ask for just a reestablishment of the order in the family, Lord, that you would strengthen each marriage here, that there would just be a mutual submission to each other, that love would pro flow freely, but most of all, grace, grace that we have never deserved, Lord, would flow in our marriages, Lord, just as we receive grace from Jesus, Lord, that we would extend that grace. Even when our flesh rises up, Lord, we would be slow to speak and quick to listen and extend that grace. I thank you. I ask that you bless these marriages today. Bless these people. In Jesus' name.
Hey, you guys are released. Have a great Father's Day. Have a wonderful week. Think about all those things that we need prayed for, okay? And just ask the Holy Spirit. He'll remind you, and, and we'll get those things that we pray. God bless you. We love you.